All right. Good evening, everybody. My name is Marla Eddy, City Forester of Madison. Uh, I just wanted to thank you for your time this evening. Um, and we're just going to do a, our annual 2017 EAB plan update. So here are the objectives of what we're going to be talking about tonight at the presentation. And I believe everybody has a packet that uh, uh, Lisa Veldrin has printed off for me. So when we're talking about the value of the urban forest, I think it would be really uh, important information um, to talk about what the urban forest uh, does provide us in value. Um, as you can see up there, um, the different components of, of what our value of our urban forest, and this is specifically for the street tree population, um, and uh, this is part of the I-Tree evaluation. Uh, that we did a, a couple of years ago back in 2012. Uh, we did this evaluation. Um, and iTree is a program that is supported by the U.S. Forest Service. How many people are familiar with iTree? We've heard of it before. All right, you get a gold star there. So you can see, you know, how much the dollars that we spent on our urban forest and what kind of dollar value we get back and benefits in return. So ash trees in our community, uh, what are the values? How about the, those ash trees? Um, you know, we're thinking at least 30% um, of our uh, private ash trees are, are on the private side of the urban forest. Um, and, you know, we're at the 22% of the street trees of ash. Obviously, that number is changing as we go through our EAB mitigation plan. So how EAB harms trees, um, this is not a new slide. This is a slide we've prevent, presented every year now. Um, but we're shortening the information um, because I think we're all aware of what EAB is in our community and how it, um, it got here. So um, just a brief overview, if anybody is not familiar with EAB, is uh, the larvae of the insect feeds underneath the bark of the tree and essentially um, creates an issue where there is no more plumbing going on with, within the tree and then the trees die within two to four years. Um, and they start dying from the top down, from the leaf, very top of the leaves all the way down the trunk. So dealing with EAB, uh, again, um, you know, this slide is, uh, you know, working through our plan working with other agencies, um, and then um, providing communication for all stakeholders and um, reinforcing our mission and preserving of the urban forest. So here is our EAB task force members as it stands today, and I would like to introduce the members that are here in, in the gallery. We have Mahat, Carl, and Charlie. Does everybody know them? And Katie. All right. So uh, 2013, remember how the council approved um, the response plan? And anything that is struck up here, uh, we made changes this last year. Um, so anything that's red struck out, those are things that we have adjusted this last year in 2017. 
Any questions on that? Okay. So if you remember, we originally had a two-year uh, treatment cycle. Then we went to a three-year treatment cycle after, after some research, uh, investigating what the U.S. Forest Service does and how they use the product and the results of their work. Um, as you can see, there are uh, over t just over 10,000 trees that are in treatment, which is 50% of the total ash street tree population. So um, in this last year, with the change of evaluating trees, we added a total of 945 trees to the treatment cycle. So originally our plan was to remove 1,700 trees. Now we're moving that up to 2,000 trees per year. We're seeing a lot more of the trees starting to fall apart. Um, maybe you have seen that as you drive around the city. Um, there are certain areas, um, because EAV is found everywhere, and things that haven't been treated are starting to uh, show, uh, so starting to show some um, significant decline. Um, so, um, and I'll give you the details of the removals, the numbers on the future slide. So street trees, uh, again, uh, we're going through that process of replacing trees in, by 18 months. Um, so you can see how much we've replaced so far. And 48% of all tree replacements are EAB. And I'll show you the different categories of tree replacements that we, we do. So here's an example. In 2017, we had um, uh, so many different categories of trees that we put in, with the different funding sources, and then how we designated. So in 2017, you can see that we had 48% that were EAB replacement. And then we also have replacements on engineering projects, um, just straight replacements that are not preemptive removals at all, and then also plats. And then um, where new, new properties have come in. And so those are new accessible trees. Okay, any questions on this slide? Okay. So preemptive removals in 2017, you can see up here where those occurred. Uh, and we uh, hit our mark, 1,774. And then streets. Uh, this is their report for the year for stump grubbing. Park ash trees. Uh, so note that the park adoptions in 2017, that there were 42 new park adoptions um, and then seven renewal. Yes. an ash tree about needing to um, re-up their adoption um, because in some cases the three years have expired? Um, most of them are coming forward and realizing, like today we had somebody from the downtown area come forward and go, oh, you know, I'm realizing my adoption is up in three years. Um, but I'm not sure the details. I'm going to refer to Charlie. Pardon me? Could you repeat the question, please? Um, yeah, I'm wondering if you have um, 
a, a process um, to notify the folks who have adopted parks ash trees that they need to re-up or else the trees will be cut down. Yes, uh, on the, the original application, we reach out to the contact information provided and let them know. So as long as that co contact information is still valid and let them know that the tree is up and they need to um, re-up the chemical treatment if they're interested in continuing adoption. And, and so how do you do that and how much in advance um, of the need for the retreatment do you contact folks? Um, for 2018 adoptions, those contacts have started now. Okay. Okay, because I, I saw that one that, um, that came from Tenny Latham, and right. I thought, three years already, my gosh. Time to um, fly. Yeah, because so I the, know that there's another one in the downtown area that probably is going to, is, yeah. I think, then three years, too. The East, West, and Central Supervisors all have their applications from the, the trees that were adopted in their areas, and they handle those reach outs. So that'll be something that we, we get done uh, before April of this year. Okay. And then then they will be need to be retreated then in, over the course of the summer? Sure. Generally speaking, June, July, and August are the prime times to get those okay. treatments done. Okay. okay. Thank you. Sure. So 2017 achievements, um, you know, we continue to meet with uh, committees and uh, neighborhood um, groups um, to talk about forestry, what efforts that we are and what our program is a lot. Uh, EAB uh, has, you know, generated a lot of interest in what forestry services we do provide as a, a city service. Um, so that opportunity comes with, with talking about EAB. Um, and we also uh, started just last week the Urban Forestry Task Force um, that's begun. And uh, this year we will be receiving our, our um, contract grow um, deliverables for the very first time. Um, that's going to be over 1,900 trees that are going to be coming in um, that are already spoken for and that we will be receiving. Um, we continue to partnership with uh, Wisconsin Urban Woods. Um, a total of 173 logs were provided to uh, Wisconsin Urban Wood. And then we continue to respond to emergency tree work as needed. Um, we did have that tornado in October, um, but it did not necessarily shut down any of our operations. Um, so I'm very grateful for that, that it was uh, something that um, wasn't on a large scale uh, situation. So we're going to continue to follow uh, IPM, Integrated Pest Management, focusing on pest prevention and use of pesticides only um, as needed um, to limit our impact on our water and our pollinators. And then we're going to continue to monitor our other pests that uh, affect our urban forest, such as gypsy moth. Uh, we did have some treatments this year in 2017, or this past year, I should say. Um, and you can see how many acres up there that we treated. And then uh, we do have uh, gypsy moth that we're going to be doing treatments again in 2018, pending approval from the Department of Natural Resources. And then um, one that we keep monitoring quite a bit is that Asian longhorn beetle. Um, it's still in the area that uh, we uh, 
the nearest infestation is in Ohio. Um, so future considerations that the uh, EAB task force is going to um, work on um, is because of the necessary work that we're mitigating for uh, EAB, there have been other forestry services such as non-emergency work, request work, and annual pruning cycles that uh, have been negatively impacted. So the EAB task force will continue to discuss the impacts of this and what to do with the postponed work in 2019 and beyond. Because as you can see from the previous slides, um, if we're upping our 2,000 removals per year and we just have about just over 4,000 um, to remove that, that haven't met the treatment criteria, you're going to see that at that point, 2019, 2020 is going to be that point where we're going to talk about what has been the impact on those other services. <coughs> so are there any questions? Hi, thanks. I have actually I have two questions, one about the gypsy moth and one about the Asian longhorn beetle. Remind me, um, are there any specific species that the gypsy moth particularly attacks? Or I, I don't remember the briefing on that. Can you remind me what they do? Sure. Uh, gypsy moth uh, does go after their favorite uh, species of trees is oak, um, but they will um, touch on other trees, and they literally defoliate and remove all the leaves. And that usually occurs right in July when you think, you know, oh my goodness, the tree is, there's no leaf, not a single leaf left. Um, so they uh, go after that. Um, and did that answer your question? For the most part. So I assume that with a defoliant like that, the tree is unable to take in sunlight, take in nutrients, and I mean... What stresses the, the tree impacts? out. Yeah, stresses yeah. the tree out. How long can, say, a 50-year-old tree, um, we have a lot of really old oak trees on the east side. Yeah. Um, they're very well established. How, how many seasons can an established oak tree take of something like that before it kills the tree? Sure. So the studies have shown, you know, usually if the tree is in fairly decent health in the first place, you know, a defoliation, um, you know, once every own while is okay, but if you get it like two or three consecutive years, that really takes a toll on that tree. Um, so it does have an impact, especially um, if they may be already stressed a little bit. Um, if drought conditions come along, um, that it can affect that. Okay. Thank you. An and Asian longhorn beetle. Yeah, my question is half joking but half serious because I, I remember when you brought us a model of one. Um, are those things edible? No. <laughs> I know. It would just be something if we could, you know, like, like turn it around as something that, you know, was a delicacy or something. That would be a lot easier. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Yep. Elder Revere. Thank you. Uh, good evening, Marla. Uh, first, our apologies. Several of us came in in the midst of your presentation. We were at a council executive committee meeting. So I apologize if some of the questions I'm about to ask you were perhaps already covered before. We entered the chamber. Um, first, first of all, I didn't see in the in your written um, presentation any sort of geographic map of where preemptive removals have taken place and any schedule uh, that might be set in the future. Is that something that 
So here is. Uh, I missed. I, yeah, I see I you just, have slides. It's not. No, I added written. this uh, just at the end. Uh, we're still working on the 2018 map for preemptive removals or planned removals. So I added this on because um, I thought anticipating this question coming up. Um, so here is the areas um, that we had removed. Let me get my glasses on here. So um, the planned removals in 2017 were the blue areas, okay? And then the reddish areas, does that look like red to you guys? That, that is where removals have taken place. And then just the gray parts of the city, those are areas that still need to be worked on. And we're still working in um, the planned removal areas right in here. We have a little bit yet to go. Um, right now we're doing that. And then we have a little bit yet to go in these two areas, right in kind of like in this area. So that is what we had done in 2017 are our goals. So 2018, we're still working on what those maps look like and what that planning looks like. So if I understand you correctly, the red or maroon areas actually, as of tonight, would cover much of the blue area that's blue on this dated map? Yeah, the, red, the blue would turn to red. Except in those couple of areas, like in yeah. the second Alderman yep. District that you just yep. mentioned. And this, for instance, this map was done in February, so the final map. Oh, a year ago, almost. Okay. So we're in that process of making making those decisions. Do you have any sense as to what the timing is of the 2018 planned area removals map being released? Um, hopefully we can get through that and have something by February here. Well, I would lobby for the center city to be last. <laughs> and that is a segue to my next question, and that is, as you know, the, the council adopted a budget amendment to allow for the Jennifer Street reconstruction uh, partial undergrounding pilot to proceed in the new in, in this year. How does that impact forestry's plans and operations to, in terms of, um, you know, that that pilot um, that would bury only the high voltage? wires and of course are concerned for the safety of your arborists um, does that change your 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 thinking and I realize the council adopted the you know change the policy in terms of chemical treatment under under wires in the past so the question is how would that impact with that Jennifer Street reconstruction um, and, and beyond just Jennifer Street and beyond right? just Jennifer Street so that if there's more under I can answer about Jennifer Street. Okay, go ahead. And How's that? Ask a um, so at, with Jennifer Street, we actually had uh, evaluated the trees that were there um, again this summer. Um, the ones that are there have continued to decline. And then um, we have stayed off on doing any replacements in there when that project originally occurred a couple years ago. So we haven't done any replacements yet, anticipating for this to be resolved. So replacements did not occur. So assuming that, I don't, maybe it's not fair for me to call it a pilot, but assuming that the pilot goes well in all respects and it's, and it's just the you know, individual household service lines that remain and, and telco and cable television, et cetera, I'll, I'll give you an example. I apologize to my colleagues for being overly parochial here. But, but um, the 300 block of West Wilson Street 
as you might know, has a uh, majority uh, ash trees that are still standing in the terrace area, and they have both types of wires uh, in that block. So am I correct that if city engineering would schedule that block for a resurface or reconstruct that could include partial undergrounding that you would not preemptively remove the ash trees on that block or any other block in a similar situated well it looks like charlie wants to get up and respond to by the way but sure uh, <laughs> yep but, but go ahead I, marla if you want to go first or uh i'll revere more globally if the uh, high voltage power lines are undergrounded our position is, and that that is a project that is real for trees that are currently standing uh, our position is that we would treat those trees as if they didn't have power lines through them, but also open up the possibility then of future trees being planted to be more canopy tight. But what we've yes. said is we need a, an actual project that's funding that um, in order to treat those areas as if they don't have the same power line concerns. Now, specific to certain instances, there are a number of factors that, that tell us if we can plant canopy trees. The presence of high voltage power lines is one of those. There's also issues with terrace width, setbacks, vision triangles, those types of things. But if the partial undergrounding happens like on Jennifer Street, then that does change the game from an arborist safety standpoint and what we can do with the sites. And I'm, not, I'm not, and I'm not sure if the newly minted task force, and I realize we have members here tonight that could speak to this, but if the newly minted task force is taking on this sort of specific issue or not, but of a, what I'm getting at is a criteria. So if it's in the five-year SIP a project, would that be enough for forestry to say, unless a tree is clearly in imminent danger to, to people or property, that, that it, you would re let it remain an ash tree? if it's at least in the SIP, or is five years out not good enough for you? As of tonight, you're thinking, again, this if might be something yeah, the talking, task force will be talking about. I don't. If we're talking specifically about ash trees that haven't been treated yet, I don't know that it's, it's not going to be around in five years. Um, if it's a tree that's in good, and health, good enough health to be treated, you know, that's, some, that's a, an adjustment we had made for 2017 that we'll, we will treat the trees. Um, I think it's probably more appropriate for than what do we plant behind trees if there's going to be a partial undergrounding or when we go into street reconstructs for Marlinhurst Taft to understand is there something um, the power lines are going to be undergrounded is there something in the five-year SIP generally and maybe I'm not answering this well but generally we said if there's something in the five-year SIP that says these power lines are going to be undergrounded we treat it as that's gospel that's what's going to happen and it allows, it changes the math, if you will, on how we treat canopy trees, what we replace them with, should they, you know, demise. But to be clear, if an ash tree is not under treatment currently, it's not going to be there in five years. But if it's healthy enough to treat, we are treating them currently. And so if, again, excuse, sorry if this has already been ground that's been covered, but if a tree has not, if an ash tree has not been treated as of tonight, in the terrace area, those those treatments are not forthcoming. So you know, even if I or a constituent said, "Please take a look at this ash tree again," you know, it has a faded yellow death sentence dot on it. Uh, is it appropriate for treatment? Was that something you would still consider, or are you not? 
are people precluded from? I think moving moving into 2018, we have a we have a few trees that we still need to to, to recheck based Evaluate. on the adjusted criteria. Mm -hmm. I can't speak specifically to where exactly those are. Um, I would certainly say if we've already rechecked it based on the adjusted criteria, we'd like to not check it again. But if but there are certainly still trees out there that we need to recheck before making that final uh, determination. Thank you. Marla, do you want to explain the slide you just yeah. showed? It? So um, I can answer the question about where we are rechecking the trees. That would be great. Because we're at the final third if we're on that three-year cycle. Mm -hmm. So 2016 was the start of that three-year cycle. 2017 was part two. Part three is what we have up here. Um, and this is a, a map that we've had out before. So the areas that are looking like red or they might look like pink to you, those are the areas that will be reinspected. those trees in those areas for anything that needs to come back into treatment. If they grew a little bit larger in the 10-inch class, then they'll come back in. Um, so these are by the Alder District. That's where we'll be going back to reinspect trees to bring them into treatment. What, and this is where we'll be treating this summer. And what's that middle color that, for example, in the forest area number one, the core downtown, it's a different shade of oh, than that, the, the rest of the city? That would have been, that. the rest of that map would have been indicating what was being done in 2017. So so in area one, you reevaluated every single ash tree? Yes, yes. So this is the final third of the city that needs to get treated and then reinspected for treatment. Is there an easily readable document you could share with at least me, maybe and other colleagues that might be interested that would show in my case in area one what Sure. What, yep. How you evaluated each of those? Yep. Okay. Thank you. I, I don't mean to take so much time, especially if there's others that have questions, but I wanted to ask you a couple of last questions. So, and if you covered it again, I apologize when we were at the other meeting. Did, did you, could you explain how much of a time lapse there is on average between removal and replanting and similarly between, in the middle, midst there, between removal and stump grubbing by streets division? So our timeline is about 18 months. Sometimes it's much quicker. Um, depending on where we had been doing the removals. But under this um, pie chart is an example. In 2017, we had 48% of the amount of trees that we installed this last year, 48% of them, half, just about half of them, were EAB replacements. And then along with that, then you have your other categories of, of where we um, need to meet the goals of like when an engineering reconstruction project it happens, then we replace those trees on that project. So these are the, the different categories that make up what our goal is. And so you said, so it's 18 months to replanting. Approximately how long does it take streets? And I'm realizing that we gave them additional budget resources for this year for additional staff for grubbing. Uh, they've been um, upholding their end of what their goals are. And you can see by how many they've been removing. Um, so uh, like, we're right now in the process of still taking stuff down. Um, so they have really been um, meeting that need. Um, so everywhere we've been able to plant, they've been able to get that stump out on a very timely basis. So again, 18 months is the, the maximum length. It could be, something could be replaced. Um, like for instance, we did some removals um, 
here this fall, but we may, we're making an effort to do the spring plantings this spring on a, you know, some particular streets because we know the impact of that street. So it can change. It can be, you know, based upon efficiency and effectiveness of staff. And you're doing that with your own forces completely now, the replacement? We aren't using contractors? Correct. We're doing that all in-house. Yep. So would it, and I'll close with this, I, I, I just pulled up an old email from Dean Call dated September 25th, 2015, um, to myself and the Southside Alders saying that we have to, we're immediately going to do preemptive removals because uh, Bohr was found on, on, near Goodman. Uh, on Wingra, uh, I'll still call it Franklin Field, actually. But anyway, uh, and and so in his email, which I just read when I have been sitting here, pulling it up on my phone, he says that replacements will be done in fall 16 or spring 17. Well, none of, from my observations, not a single ones uh, of the trees that were removed on North Shore Drive, which was a portion of the Fourth Aldermanic District that was included in this preemptive removal round, have been replaced yet. Could 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 you check on that for me and sure yeah and, absolutely and, and so I don't know if that was a concerted decision by by Parks Division to not replace the trees because of uh, I don't know their proximity to Monona Bay or something but there were several trees removed um, between the sidewalk and North Shore Drive and not a, not a single one of them have been replaced yet and again that re removal was in you know late 2015. And, and as you know, again, I apologize to everyone for being overly parochial here, but as you know, there have been very few preemptive removals in the downtown area or downtown area. And so that one obviously is notable to me because that's the one that's been done. And I, uh, yeah, we'll so. definitely get back to you. Thank you. I appreciate yep. that. Thank you all for your work. Thanks. Any other questions this evening? I don't have the button. Um, so with the, the contract grow that we have, we really have been able to um, identify the species diversity that we can um, have available to us um, and make sure that we're evaluating those things. So we're going through that process right now of looking at over the different uh, percentages of uh, species that we brought into to, um, our city here. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we could add to our urban force task force to talk about a little bit more in detail and what that looks like. Good. Thank you. Thank you. So talking about species diversification, it came to um, me in a meeting, the Board of Public Works, where an engineer came and talked about the LEAF study. I didn't realize before that presentation the different amount of phosphorus are in different leaves and a, a, quite, a, quite a difference. And I asked at that point in time if you or someone was looking at trying to plant low phosphorus emitting trees by the streets, so less phosphorus would automatically end up in our lakes. And I was told that that had not been given consideration. Could you speak to that, please? So um, you're bringing up the, the leaf phosphorus study. Um, 
Maple is a higher percentage. Yeah. Um, and there is not a lot of data out there on a lot of other tree species and their phosphorus content. There really hasn't been uh, um, a lot of work done in that area. Um, but maple is one of the, the higher ones, and I think, you know, the studies have been kind of centered around what was available at that point in time. Um, and, but what the other leaves, such as oak or catalpa or so, um, uh, plane tree, what are those phosphorus contents? There is not a lot of literature out there at this time on those other leaves. Um, and what their phosphorus content is when they fall. Okay, um, that's not the information we were given at the meeting, that there was actually uh, different leaves in a row and a continuum of how much phosphorus was emitted. I don't know how many of them are planted here, but he seemed to have information. I mean, I understand you're the city forester and the expert, but um, I just would like someone to look into that. Sure. Because it seems like... You know, one of the easy ways to have a reduction of phosphorus in our lakes is to have leaves that don't have as much phosphorus. That seems like a no-brainer if we can pull that off. So if you could look at that and kind of update me, that would be great. Sure, and maybe we can bring that up at the Urban Forest Task Force. That would be wonderful. And Thank you that so discussion. much. Yeah, that might be a good topic for that group. Any other questions? All right, thank you so much. Have a good evening, guys.